you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited. We have Mr. Balsetti in the house, and I'm, I'm very excited. This gentleman is from Ohio, a slightly different area from where I'm investing in the hood of Ohio, but it's really cool to see what he's been able to build. And over the last several years, from where he first started off with to where he's at now, the partnerships, he's part of, you know, partnered with uh, 0%. And what they're doing, what they're scaling is just amazing. So really excited to dive in with this gentleman and really be able to hear more about his story and the systems in place to be able to build up truly like the legacy of what they're building right now. So really excited to have you on. What's up, Tyler? How you doing, bro? Appreciate you having me and welcome everyone that is watching it live and also going to be tuning into the recording. So appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, of course. So anybody out there that doesn't know a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, do you mind just giving like a, a 30,000 foot overview of, of who Tyler is? So I'm a lot of different things. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a boyfriend, I'm a, a dad to a four-legged crazy dog. But yeah, just for some further insight, originally from a small town, Mechanicsburg, Ohio, rural right outside of uh, Dayton area. So near Urbana, Springfield for people that may know those areas. I really just had a passion for, you know, competition and sports growing up similar to most people in small towns. And this kind of goes into why we're here talking about real estate, but lost my father when I was eight years old and really just learned a lot from that experience. Right. And so as we speed things up, fell in love with running, pushing myself, the competitive nature that you can have with yourself to get better in each and every single day. I ended up going to Wright State University for one year. My intention was to walk on there for track and cross country and quickly realized, hey, I don't want to run 15, 20 miles after the next day of our meets. And I want to go make money and not be in the debt up to my eyeballs. So, and also too, I'm not going to lie, I'm a, uh, an outgoing extroverted person. So I didn't really get the college experience. So I ended up transferring to Ohio State University and that was really like my dream growing up, being from small town, you're a Buckeye fan. You know, it's basically a cult to be an Ohio State fan. So, yeah. you know, that definitely was beating the odds along the way. And that's really how I operate for the most part, right? Is a good chip on the shoulder trying to beat the odds and ended up dropping out of college at Ohio State University, pursued the mortgage industry. Again, I was just going into this job originally thinking, oh, great, I'm going to have you know, some decent money so I can go party on the weekends and afford college and do these things. Right. But what I quickly realized was, wow, the person that, you know, ended up hiring me, I saw his vision. I saw his leadership. I just was super, super inspired. And I'm sure we'll touch on it, but like just getting in that environment and seeing what a true leader looked like in that time of my life, it was super cool. It was like a father figure, a brother, a boss, all those things in one. And yeah, he had approached me after like three to four months of working there while just cold calling people all day to get appointments to refinance their mortgages. And yeah, he approached me with like a position, right? And that led to me dropping out of college because I needed to put a lot of time and commitment into it. Yeah. And about six months later, I bought my first investment property in 2016, a duplex 
So I did the house hack model, lived in one side, rented out the other. And uh, someone actually ended up breaking into one side, lit my place on fire and basically lost everything. And like I said, my father passed away when I was eight years old from a house fire. So it it really was like a weird symbolism and, you know, it kind of shakes you up a little bit. Right. But I learned so much from that experience as well. I think for the most part, people learn a lot from adversity and that's really just an opportunity to continue to grow. So as we speed things up, yeah, I met my business partner, Jeff, about three years ago. And at the time he was at Chase Bank. He wanted, you know, a completely different life in terms of the traditional nine to five. And I was at this weird point where I was crushing it in the mortgage industry. I was one of the fastest growing loan officers in the country. I had zero intentions of not owning a mortgage company, right? And and being an industry leader. But I also had this self-awareness and this intuition that business is shifting. And I don't really want to wear a suit and tie and talk to realtors and borrowers all day and blah, blah, blah. Like the ability to scale was way, way slower than being able to dive into what I see as this new entrepreneurship journey, being virtual, being able to build what we're building now at 0%. And for those that know who we are or not know who we are, at the end of the day, we're a financial services company focused on empowering people with education. And with that education, we're helping them get access to credit, leveraging creative financing to build their business, build income streams. And obviously we have you know two funds with crypto and, and real estate. I mainly focus on the real estate side, of course. And yeah, that's my quick or not quick 30,000 foot view of who I am and, and what I do. So no, I love it. I love it, bro. You do have so many different things going on. So like, you know, there's a lot to chat about, but overall, I want to talk about mortgages. Why mortgages in the first place? Did you have any friends, family, anybody that guided you to, Hey, do this or like, what was the cause with that? Happened, right? Like, I think that for me, it was a fluke situation, but also it comes down to your environment, right? I was living in a house of five other buddies, you know, just typical college house, partying up every weekend. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. But what's so funny that I reflect back on this is I was in a suit and tie and everything at the, you know, like the career day where you're going around shaking hands and all that. I remember walking around like shaking hands, like, wow, this is absolutely dumb. This is so stupid. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. I came back home. And one of my college roommates was like, hey, one of my buddies is actually looking to hire somebody. And I don't really know what he does, but he's a funny, outgoing guy. And and I think you guys would hit it off. I think you should like, you know, go do an interview. Right. And he said that he's interviewing people in like 45 minutes. And I was like, what? Okay, I guess. So I literally just drove like 20 minutes down the road. And I was like, this is, I have no idea what this is, but they said they're paying money. And I think I can call people. And have a year left from college. So might as well make some money. So yeah, it just happened, right? Like there was zero intentions. I think most people that are realtors or in the mortgage industry, 99.9% of them, even real estate investors, like we just bought a property and we're like, oh, wait, we should maybe do this again. Or let me go get my real estate license or let me be a mortgage officer, right? Yeah. Uh, For me, the way they were doing things was way different. Like my mentor realized that Central Ohio and Columbus all the data was showing that it was growing. He wasn't really focused on refinance. He was focused on purchase and building relationships with realtors. And so I just learned a ton from that. And yeah, one thing led to another where I was like, oh, I'm in the mortgage industry. I guess yeah. I'm going to originate loans. <laughs> so, Love it. So when it comes down to the portfolio that you guys have now, like what does that look like? Are you guys doing any holds or is it mostly just fix and flips? What's the strategy you're focusing on? And I guess, when was that first 
deal. I, I know the first deal, it was the duplex you house hacked, had some fire issues. But after that, when was like your next properties and so forth? Yeah, really, you know, one point I like to get across as many times as I possibly can yeah. is focus on what you actually enjoy, what makes you the most amount of money, gives you the most amount of, you know, energy, right? And so yeah. it's similar when I was speaking at our event, 99.9% of people that I'm speaking to on this podcast, on this live on Facebook, or really at any event that I'm speaking at, most people actually shouldn't invest in the real estate just themselves. They should find people that have the team, have the processes, have had the successes and failures. And so that was the first thing I really learned, whether I realized it or not in the moment was that property, all that situation went down. I was going through insurance fraud investigation. I was getting investigated by the local police because they thought that I did it. But in fact, we had to go to the local bars and literally pull up cameras and say, no, look, I was here. This was a crazy situation. But what it taught me was, hey, that's a distraction. Let's go become the best loan officer and learn the mortgage industry. That's going to make me the most amount of money today. When you make the most amount of money you possibly can today, that's when you can make investments, whether it's in real estate, crypto, the stock market, whatever it is. And so after a few years, I started getting back. I was like, okay, this is how you actually build a legacy and pass something on that's bigger than yourself, in my personal opinion is real estate. This is something that I can, you know, build a team and create true, true impact. And when I had met Jeff, I really liked what he was doing on the financial consulting side, right? Building this community, building this culture. And secretly what we were doing that we had no idea that we were doing is I was already doing my own deals, right? I got back into, you know, buying properties a couple of years ago and was just focused on buying distressed properties because it's actually, in my personal opinion, depending on where you're at and depending on your goals, a little bit less risky because, hey, if you mess it up, you're not buying something that is like a buy and hold and the market crashes overnight and now it's yeah. not cash flow and it's worth less, right? Uh, but long story short, we were building this community of private money lenders, this community of people running businesses where naturally I was you know, doing three or four projects at a time. And then Jeff and I were like, hey, why don't we just bring this in as a passive income opportunity only for our consulting members and to answer your, your original question, I'm hyper-focused on and making a slight shift now of buying distressed properties that we can add value to, right? Doing the birth strategy. Yep. And then I want to keep everything because a win for me is getting more consulting members, empowering them to grow their businesses or get them into real estate as well, being able to pay them ridiculous returns passively. I give away all the profit. I put in the sweat equity. Well, hey, guess what? Zero percent is walking away with the asset the cash flow, the equity, the actual property itself, I'm cool forking away all the profit. Here you go. Because I know that after we do that and we get our fee wet and we get proper net worth and liquidity and the, the track record, now we can scale into bigger deals, right? Which is what we're kind of doing now is scaling into those bigger developments, scaling into you know the bigger multifamily apartments. Yeah, I love it. So for for the longest time, it was basically fix and flips, but now you guys are really switching over to more buy and holds, doing the burst strategy. It's all about the value add of buying the distressed properties, you know, uh, fixing it up. And then you're also really starting to consider doing the ground up construction, bigger multifamily, which is pretty damn awesome. Yeah, yeah easier said than done, but yeah. you know, I'm sure that that you know this more than anyone. It's like, okay, how long are you going to just wholesale properties for? How long are you going to fix and flip over? Like you secretly become an employee of your own business, which is okay, but you also have to start keeping them. You have to start keeping investments because, you know, real estate, 
is a wealth builder. It's not a get rich quick. You can absolutely make a ton of money fixing and flipping properties, wholesaling. But at the end of the day, there's this thing called taxes, right? So you're probably going to just fork half of it out, out, out the door and you may have to build up that capital. So that's essentially what I was doing was learning the game. Like I don't even know how to fix and flip a property. Well, let's go learn, right? Yeah. I don't know how to buy a good deal. I don't know how to vet contractors. I don't know how to raise money. So, you know, once you do it, whether it's once or 10 times, you kind of just know, and you're never going to know that next step, right? Like I haven't developed that hundred plus unit apartment. We're in the process of going through the diligence and going through that, but we didn't know how to buy our first rental either, right? You just have to learn the most important pieces along the way. Yeah, man. Every day is a learning curve, right? Like every day we're constantly growing and learning a new tool to, to put onto the tool belt. So I'm excited for you guys. I think it's pretty cool what you guys are taking down and, and looking to accomplish, which is pretty awesome. It's very inspiring. I want to talk about that first deal with the fire just a little bit more, uh, if you don't mind. And what did the numbers look like? And obviously, why was there such a problem with the city and the investigations going on? Like, was it not plain and plain in sight that it wasn't you, you know, and it was this neighbor. Yeah. So super, super weird situation. At the end of the day, I still don't know like the direct answer on what happened, but I, but I do know, uh, long story short was just recently seeing this girl and didn't realize that she had multiple other, you know, exes that she was potentially still seeing and all the evidence showed that, Oh wow. Okay. I literally have known you for like 10 days didn't know it came with a lot of baggage, right? But what I learned is rule number one with money or investments, if you're getting started or you're scaling, what it really taught me was protect what you have. Make sure that you have insurance. Make sure you have business insurance. Make sure that you're removing your personal liability. So I just naturally had it in the LLC. I naturally had the best insurance you could have, right? Going back to my mentors, being in the mortgage industry, I knew, oh, okay, well, you need to have insurance. You need to have you know, hey, maybe it's good to have an umbrella policy. Maybe it's good to have it in your LLC, right? So protect what you have, number one. And then also people don't realize one of the biggest things when it comes to like fires or anything with insurance is actually self-inflicted. It's typically the homeowner creating the arson themselves to get the insurance check. So I bought the property for like 290, did a first-time home buyer program and you know, got the down payment assistance. Property was great, it was cash flowing. And yeah, long story short, all that craziness happened. And I didn't realize, oh, wow, this is why you, again, have it in an LLC, why you have insurance. And thankfully, I had the financials and everything to show them this wasn't me, right? And they wanted to make sure it wasn't something weird with insurance fraud or something wild like that. But then I also learned the ability to just focus on what you need to focus on. I ended up selling the property. And also another thing I learned was when they went in and insurance fixed everything, right? There wasn't a firewall between the duplex. So I learned about coding, making sure things were up to code, all these different things, right? So in a secret way, my first property I purchased was a buy and hold, but in reality, it was a fix and flip, essentially. And then another thing I learned with this project, right? And the best learning curves, right? Like you learned so much on that, I'm sure. Yeah, it was was literally like a lifetime, I think, of investing almost in 12 months, right? (laughs) Lost everything. Oh, well, actually, I didn't. I got a big insurance check because they covered everything. And this is why you have insurance to protect yourself. Also, this is the insurance you have when you have other people's money to protect them. This is why you have it in the LLC. You have to make sure your stuff is up to code. And then also, when I sold, I sold the property for like 330 
And I realized what capital gains taxes were, right? <laughs> I sold it. I was like, oh, sweet. I have 40K of profit. Let's go get bottle service and, and have some fun. And um, then I learned about taxes, Gotta give out right? 20 of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, not saying those things to discourage anyone. You know, people hear or read all the tenants are crazy. Yeah, it's business. Shit's going to go wrong. It's not if something goes wrong. It's when something goes wrong. But rule number one, protect what you have. When the yeah. tenant doesn't pay you, what next? When the tenant destroys your place, when the property burns down, when the contractor screws you over, either one, you haven't done enough deals to get screwed over and something to go wrong or two, you're lying, right? Yeah. So it's just a matter of protecting yourself first and putting you and your investors in the best spot to be protected. I love it. I love it, bro. So let's talk about lead generation for a second. You know, How are you guys mostly getting your leads and what does that process look like? Yeah. Leads for like the properties. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully it just comes down to, like I said earlier, the networking, right? Like five to six years in the mortgage space, knowing other investors, knowing realtors and who was actually in the game five or six years ago. Yeah. Right? You could imagine that if they're still in the game now, they're, they're probably substantially bigger, right? They're probably doing more deals than ever. Yeah. And so for me, it was truly relationships, right? Like I have some of my best friends and closest people in my network here that are wholesalers and agents. So they know, hey, Tyler is going to buy it if it's a good deal, but he's not just going to buy this one. He's going to buy two to three more next week, right? And <laughs> next month. And then, yeah, that, that just comes down to whether you've heard me say this or not, or that the audience listening in is, is three Ps. It's people, processes, and profit. So if you get enough good people around you, general contractors, property managers, wholesalers, for me, I will likely never go get a team built around finding those leads or sailing mailers out and doing the wholesale, right? It's just not my specialty. I don't want to learn that whole business, right? I, I get it. I yeah, I know the one to 10 steps, but those one to 10 steps sound good on paper. I'm just going to reach out to my six connections and 10 agents or whatever and be like, hey, find me a deal. Yeah. And guess what? I'm going to go buy more if you send me more. <laughs> so... I do the exact same thing. And it's something that like, hey, if we spent the time, the energy to create a wholesaling business that we could cherry pick and, you know, spend the 10K a month on advertising out here in San Diego, you know, that's what the market goes for, then I could save so much money. But we build up the relationships. I'm totally okay with if it's a good deal, paying the 40, 50K to the wholesaler if the numbers work, you know, and I don't need to worry about that aspect. Exactly. Like we all know time's our number one asset. And, and yep. yeah, some people getting started, like typically one of the best ways to get started is wholesaling, right? Is doing, you know, but I, I just was in a different position. Like I had already, what most people have in terms of connections and the quote unquote brand and whatnot, I had built that secretly for five to six years without even knowing it. And then once I started doing one to two deals, right? Someone's like, hey, do you want to fund this project? And we'll split the profit. Yeah. yeah, sure. Let's do it. Right. So that's something you have to consider is what's the opportunity cost for me to go try to build out a wholesaling division and bring on an agent and, or me become licensed. I probably just lost seven deals, brought in less consulting members. And that's not where Tyler's time needs to be spent. Like you said, I'm cool with my network, making their fee, making their cut because I'm in this forever. So I hope they're in it forever too. And we can do many more deals outside of the just one deal. I love it. So when you guys are getting these deals, you do the due diligence on it. You have 
I already know how you guys fund it, but just, you know, anybody out there that doesn't know, obviously you guys have a network of people within your community that you're building up credit with and they have the opportunity to invest with you guys, obviously networking as well. But on top of that, you know, who's handling the project side of things to get it fully remodeled and either flip it or do the cash out refinance? Yes, I'm handling all the, you know, day-to-day decisions. And this is where my biggest weakness is construction, right? I, you know, can still probably walk through a property right now and be like, I still need to get my GC's eyes on it because I still don't know if we need to put 50K into it or if we need to put 60K into it or 75K into it, right? And so once I had like six or seven projects going, I was like, oh, my biggest flaw is project management and knowing what truly needs to go into it. My biggest strength is networking, getting attention, doing podcasts, raising money, and operating as a CEO with time, capital, and people, right? To make sure, hey, these numbers do make sense. But for me, yeah, I have a, a management team that handles all the, you know, the stuff with the tenants. We have a meeting every single Thursday where we go through a, you know, a specific checklist to make sure we're all on the same page. And then I think you had met my GC at our event. He 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 runs the show. Like I yeah. literally just went and drove by four projects around the corner, and I just sent him a voice audio like, "Hey, everything looked great. This property needs boom, boom, boom. When's this going on?" So it's just having that open line of communication. And in all reality, too, it's it's honestly really hard to find a GC that I found. He's a young guy. He understands entrepreneurship. He understands what it means to create content. And it's just rare to find that. What I can say, I'm sure you can attest to this, is if it's your biggest weakness, it's probably better to just, quote unquote, overpay and just go with the flow, right? I don't even question if his numbers are this. Obviously... You should do your due diligence and, you know, maybe get one or two bids and go check the property. I'm not saying just, Hey, here you go. Give it away. But yeah. 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 But it takes time to get to that point. But I will say if you're buying your first fix and flip or your first property and you have three bids and you're like, I really, really like this person, great resources or great, you know, projects have a good reputation. Don't see anything negative. And he's six grand more. I can tell you that that's probably going to make sense if that's your weakness. If you're like, hey, I know construction, I know this area very well. And then you you have to make that decision yourself. But yeah, that's so good. And you know, I can definitely agree with you. A weakness on my side as well is I didn't have the construction background. So mm-hmm. each project, you know, we're doing something different. You know, they're not all exactly the same, but over time, you get more confidence, you know, okay, this is what we're doing on each project. And you start learning over time, you know, what this looks like and what the overall average cost should be, right? I wanted to ask, how did you find these unicorns? I have a unicorn contractor as well, not a project manager though. And, you know, mine personally came from a referral that I met over time. And I feel like a lot of situations end up being like that. But I'm just curious, you know, like, for any listeners out there, I think that is a valuable key component of like finding and building, just like you said, the people, you know, like building out your team to find the right one that's really the best fit that you don't need to worry about, you know? Yeah, no, I think it stinks because I feel like books I read, podcasts I listen to, like we just all talk about networking, networking, networking. But like, I mean, it's the truth. Like if you can't network, then probably gonna have to partner with somebody that can network, right? Like you're gonna have to maybe just 
you know, go sit in your closet and have somebody else go shake the hands if you need to. But that's exactly, you know, I had just a, a bad experience with somebody that was quote unquote running my projects before, but I realized I was the one actually running the project. And keep in mind, I'm still again running the project, still checking in, still doing my due diligence as everyone You're the boss, should. right? You know, you yeah, gotta you like, gotta oversee a lot of things here and there, but yeah, exactly. But, uh, but, but to get to your point, yeah, I just had a, a few buddies that are investors locally. And I said, Hey, look, this is my biggest struggle right now. I could be doing two to three times more deals if I had this area buttoned up yeah. and they're like two to three of them both said the same guy. And so I literally it was like Friday night at nine thirty PM. I messaged him and said, Hey, I want to talk to you right now. Are you available? And he was, I was like, okay, what the hell? I'm not sure if that's good or bad. And yeah, we just created a report. We just said, that, you know, hey, look, this is what I'm expecting. This is what you, what you're expecting. Like, what's that mutual value for him? He's consistently getting deals. And then he's also a part of the development team, right? So like he understands where my vision is. He understands what I'm trying to do. And then so when cool. it comes to certain things like the event, he's like, oh, okay, I really see what you're trying to do, right? So just reminding them, whether it's just one property a month or one property every 10 years, doesn't matter at the end of the day getting people to understand your vision, but most importantly, backing it up with your action, right? He's yeah. like, oh, okay, you have big goals, whatever. It was like seven days later. I'm like, all right, man, I gave you two to three projects. I have like 13 others that are coming. And he's yeah. like, oh, okay, you're serious, right? So Yeah, yeah you're serious um, now. Now I realize yeah. you're serious, bro. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, and it's just taking care of people, right? Like I'll yeah. you know, take him out, him and his wife to dinners. I'll, you just got to take care of people. For me, I could care less about how much money is coming into my pocket today or, you know, what, what we sold this property for, what we're getting on capital here. I could care less. Like I could care less. I want 10,000 units and the least amount of time possible, ideally with, within 10 years, what's that going to take? That's going to take giving a shitload of that away up front to yeah. be able to look back in 10 years and go, okay, now I'm getting an absurd amount of cash flow. This is when Tyler actually reaps the rewards. That's real estate. It's yeah. taking the day-to-day out of it and thinking what does this actually mean in 10 years versus the decision I'm making right now. And that's where I think people fail. Where I failed is cutting the corners and trying to save the penny, but in reality, you're losing the dollars. Yeah. You know, I think it's so important first off to like, look at the end goal. Yours is, uh, you know, 10,000 doors at the end of the day. And, and then obviously you can reap the benefits then. I think something that I've always made the mistake with as well is not giving enough upfront to the partners, right? So we only do like debt positions for individuals. Mm-hmm. When I've had mentors of mine over the last year or so really push on to me that like, hey bro, if you wanna scale, you gotta start giving away the equity and really start partnering up with people because it's gonna be easier to get. Everybody you know, wants to jump into the equity position and yeah. you'll be able to get there to your goal a hell of a lot sooner. So do you have any you know, thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. I think the best analogy in that situation is the watermelon versus the grape. Do you want a quarter of a watermelon or a hundred percent of a grape, right? Now, my argument to that though, as well, is um, I took the the same approach as you. I'm going to pay out absurd debt returns and I'll explain as to why. Number number one is I understood that with my mortgage background and scaling into those bigger deals, it's just not credit income and assets, right? Like you eventually have to show hey, I actually know what the hell I'm doing. Here's my track record. Here's my portfolio. Here's my liquidity. Here's my net worth. So if and when I scale into that 100 unit or 500 unit or 25 unit, yeah, the bank may lend, but I also wanted to make sure I could control those deals as much as I possibly could. 
because we did a great job of building the attention, building our brand, building our network. So boom, the moment I say I'm raising capital for a hundred unit, it's literally easier than raising capital for a crack house here in Columbus, Ohio. Right. (laughs) And so I took the same approach. I decided to pay out absurd debt returns so I could quickly move speed. I don't want three deals going on. I want 30 because I want to feel what it's like to really, really be, you know, dive right in and figure this game out. But also I understood printing money. I understood inflation. I understood that, hey, consulting members, you need to put your money somewhere because your 100K is actually worth, you know, 80 to 70K in the next 12 to 24 months. So you need to put your money into cash flow and assets. And when you educate your audience and you educate your private money lenders on that, not just, hey, you're making 8 to 12% return, but I'm going to help you get 15 to 30% returns, let's say, they go, oh, wow, this, I have to put money with you, right? And for me, I'm willing to give it away because the velocity of money, right? I'm able to turn that money way quicker. You build that trust with them and then you have a real conversation with them in two to three years. Hey, look, I'm not paying you absurd returns like this anymore, right? But I'm going to start giving you equity and that cash on cash return, the tax benefits and the long-term play now, this actually makes more sense. If you want to invest, great. I've proven to you three to four deals that we can do it. And this makes more sense. So some people, they do the opposite. They don't want to pay out those returns. They want to give up some equity. For me, I wanted to be able to scale into these bigger deals by being able to control the equity as much as I can and making sure that the people that actually believe in us since day one are getting that upside alongside the way. So, Yeah, that's good. No, I love it. I think I heard you mention this at the event and just speaking in general. As the deals are coming in and there's like kind of like a certain threshold of certain members on each project of how much they can handle, right? I think you said like six or seven projects before you need to get another project manager to start managing all those, right? So what does that look like? Yeah, I guess everyone's going to be different. I think it was like, when it really started clicking was exactly what you had brought up was the debt versus equity returns. And I feel like when you want to scale into apartments or, you know, syndication type deals and to developments, you just kind of know like, okay, you're, you're never fully ready, but my, my sanity is ready to scale into yeah, these yeah. bigger deals. Right. <laughs> and in fact, I think most of the time, one to 10 unit distressed properties and growing areas, I think that hypothetically on paper, those are truly the best deals, right? Sure. If we want to look at data over the next decades yep. and decades to come, but from the economies of scale, I was driving around to literally like I told you over 20 different projects going, wow, I just wasted probably five hours of my day. When I say wasted, it's more of like, I could have produced content. I could have gotten more consulting members in. And so, so many other things, right? Yeah. It could have been on a podcast like this. So you kind of just know, and because I have a good GC, because I, you know, have a phenomenal development team that was, you know, put in a place last year in Q4. Oh, okay. We're ready it's the cost of diminishing returns. Every time I buy a smaller deal, I'm losing out on 50 units over here. Right. And so some people, they may only be able to handle two projects because they're doing, you know, the repairs, they can't raise capital like we can, right. Or they're doing some of the work themselves. For me, trying to operate as a COO, I'm trying to operate in terms of who's getting it done, what money needs to be raised and how can we be efficient with time? I'm not trying to be the project manager. Right. So Really, you kind of know like, oh, yeah, I need to scale into bigger deals, right? Or I'm really good at this one thing. How can I bring that value to somebody else and their deals? 
and they're a little bit ahead of me or they want to scale into bigger deals. And maybe you can get a cut off of that deal by partnering up with them. Right. And so I think that's just that's a good. question people should ask themselves. It, that is good. It's like, everybody's going to be slightly different. I know for me personally, I think it was like two years ago when I picked up four projects all at the same time and 3000 miles away, it was a little overwhelming to say the least, right. You know, managing yeah. everybody and making sure that everything came out as planned it was something that I decided afterwards, hey, I'm going to dial it back a little bit and focus on bigger projects, but something that just building the systems around it will help out tremendously as well. I wanted to ask you about compensation for the team and what does that look like? How do you figure out how to pay somebody either salary or performance base or hourly? Yeah. So what's funny is we've been able to build the portfolio so far and, and, and likely for I mean, I would say the next year or two, adding on hundreds of more units, you know, obviously over the coming years with just me and then my executive assistant that I brought on board 90 days ago. So it's been super lean because I was able to raise the capital, have the connections to find. So it really goes in this order, as you know, can you find a deal? Can you fund the deal? Can you get GCs to go in there and do the project management? And then what's the disposition look like, right? Yeah. Are you going to manage or are you going to outsource? So I had deals coming in. I was the money person. I eventually found a good GC. Yep. And then I just knew from day one, I was never going to self-manage projects and, and properties. I self-managed the duplex and I wanted to learn what it was like to go through that. But you have to outsource everything in my opinion. Yes. To answer your question, yeah, I think it comes down to something that we do and that we've implemented within the last 12 months is what I call the employee profile, right? I'm a big, big, big believer in people. Cause like I said, if you don't have great people, then you're not going to have good processes and no one's going to make money. Most people try to find ways to make money first. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So with those employee profiles that I implemented with our uh, company at 0%, it's focused on number one, what's your role? Like, what are you here to do? And what do those tasks look like each and every single day? And then key contribute, you know, key attributes and contributions. And you can identify that through like personality tests, right? One that's really good. In my personal opinion is the TTI insight or Tony Robbins, this test. And what makes this person different than the other hundred applicants, right? Or if we need to get another executive assistant, and this one's incredible, how do we duplicate that person? How do we duplicate Tyler based on what makes them, you know, different than everyone else? And this is what Tyler's tasks look like. Here's what an executive assistant looks like. And then really, I think the key is, how are you actually measuring them? And that is the key performance indicators. Yeah. Whether it's an executive assistant or whether it's the CEO, everyone in between has to know this is black and white, exactly how you're getting measured. And this gray area can be kind of controversial. Like, oh, you do some emails or you handle a calendar. But like these three things is whether or not you're performing or not. And how do we get them motivated? We get them motivated through what's called PPFs, personal, professional, financial goals. And if you're able to hit these tasks, you're able to hit your KPIs and you can kind of turn the table around to your employee at the end of the day, which I think is a good opportunity for you and them to say, look, I want you to tell me over the next 90 days and over the next 12 months, what's your personal, professional and financial goal? Because if you can't hit those in that order, I know you're failing on behalf of the company as well. If you can't even do your own personal goals, how do I expect you to show up at 0% and get the things done that you need to get done on your daily task and hit your KPIs? That means that you're not even committed to yourself. You're never going to be committed to us. That's why I'm not going to pay you more money. 
or you are crushing it. That's why I'm giving you a raise. Yes. I love that. That is so, so good. I'm going to start implementing that myself. Yeah. Yeah. PPF. That is so good. So how are you guys actually tracking the KPIs or like CRMs or anything behind their performance? Yeah, we'll do meetings on Thursdays and we'll go through an RPI, Result Progress and Issue Meeting for an hour. We're bringing the executive team members in each department, right? So we'll have our marketing, we'll have our sales, we'll have our tech, we'll have our executive assistants, our credit repair side, we'll have our consulting team. And everyone is the executive leadership team member. And you show up on that meeting with that exact cadence. What's the result, progress, and issues going on in your department? And then what does that look like from a KPI standpoint, right? So for me, it's, hey, we have X amount of deals in the pipeline. We turn these four properties into Airbnbs. We stabilize these two units that brought in an additional X amount of revenue and cash flow. We have a real estate webinar coming up end of July. We have X amount of tickets sold. Here's the issues that we have. We're having an issue where we're not able to get 10 more tickets sold, right? We're behind on ticket sales or struggling getting this unit turned fast enough or we're struggling getting this unit actually stabilized, right? So how we're measuring that is everyone should be tracking that on a, on a sheet. But with technology, we just made a, a recent big change to HubSpot to you know track sales and, and track those different things. But uh, honestly, all the tech stuff is a little bit over my head. That's why we have a CTO. You can get as simple as really going on Google Sheets to get started. Sure. You can say, hey, what the hell are your KPIs? Here's how you're yeah. measured. And then here's your RPIs, results, progress, and issues. And then everyone can share that on a meeting. And then you can start integrating you know, technology into how much money did you raise this week? How did that break down to each day? How many investors did you have to speak to to get that amount of money? The biggest thing that I see with myself and many other people and entrepreneurs is the fluff. Right. How do we eliminate the fluff? How do we just be focused on the out, right? results? Yeah, right to the yeah. Point. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's so good, brother. I love that. Let's let's talk about the market for a second. You know, nobody's got that crystal ball, but in your market or even nationwide, do you have any thoughts of what we're in some different times right now for sure? Do you, yeah. do you have any thoughts on what the future looks like? Yeah, I think, you know, history is a great way to predict the future. It doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly right, but history, quote unquote, repeats itself. And let's not try to reinvent the wheel, right? Rocket science or, you know, real estate's not rocket science. So number one, it's being logical with a recession and and a crash, right? Like when does that traditionally happen? Traditionally, we see a pretty big drop in real estate every, let's say, 15 years, right? Most people are programmed that it happens every eight to 10, but that's typically the stock market, right? A lagging indicator is typically real estate. The last thing that typically crashes, again, I'm saying typically because it could all come crashing down today for all I know. But the housing market crash is what's burned in everyone's mind. I got into the mortgage industry right after that happened. So I saw everything that was implemented this rule with credit, this rule with, rule with income, verifying assets, all of these different loan programs, right? So that is one thing to remind ourselves. And that data or, or time frame looks like we may see a correction in 2023 to 2025, right? The second thing I look at is what do I actually know in this industry? I know the financing side. I know that banks have put a lot of things in place to make sure borrowers are actually qualified. Now, yeah. keep in mind, People are overpaying left and right 
four properties. And I'll give some insight as to why I think that's good and as to why I think that's bad. Right. But at the end of the day, for the most part, loans are legitimate. Right. So if people lose their jobs, historically speaking, they're probably going to be able to find a new one or they have the assets or they're going to have the income to still pay it. And we're not going to see a huge crash. Right. As far as like true projections, with them announcing rates are likely going to stay low. That's also going to encourage people to stay emotional and keep buying houses they may or may not be able to afford. It's going to stimulate the real estate side of things, in my personal opinion. But as far as one thing that we may never see again in our lifetime is the amount of money supply that's been increased, projected to be over 40% since COVID by probably this time next year, right? Oh, yeah. So what printed it out left or right, you know, it's crazy. Exactly. So with that being said, what happens when inflation occurs? There are deflationary assets like real estate that actually perform better when there is inflation. And so even if we see a crash in home prices, investors like you and I, there's a very good chance that we'll actually do even better because rule number one is to have make sure there's cash flow. So I don't care if the properties were 200K or 2 million, does it cash flow? And it's probably going to cash flow better because when there is a crash in home prices, rent goes up. So guys like you and I secretly probably want to see a crash because we can go buy more and our properties will perform even better and we'll still be leverageable to the banks to still get access to money. So if you're on the fence, but what we're seeing to not keep going with this, you can just tell me to shut up if you wish, but uh, (laughs) you're good, brother. Keep going. (laughs) I think what we're seeing with all this money printing is, you know, people got a stimulus check, people got all these different loans and whatnot, right? Whether they're deploying that in real estate or not, probably not happening. But what we're seeing is we're seeing foreign money. We're seeing hedge funds coming in as well, right? So if Columbus, Ohio is appreciating that over 10% month after month, it actually kind of makes sense if the property is listed for 300 grand to buy it for 330. Because in three months, it's going to be worth 330, 350, 375, right? And we're also seeing these hedge funds that have billions and trillions of assets go in and say, hey, we're going to actually allocate 5% of our portfolio, our cash reserve of 5% to just go buy up single family homes because they're just hedging inflation. They're saying that our $1 is going to be worth 60% of this (laughs) in 12 months. So instead of making money, rule number one with money is protect it and don't lose it. Like I said, with the first property. So if anything, you should be buying real estate to just make sure the hundred grand you have, or, you know, other people's money that you can get access to is actually worth at least the same next year versus everyone else. Their money is going to be worth 40% less. And so when you can articulate that to your audience, articulate that to your investors, they're like, oh, wait, we're not getting at least 15, 20, 30% returns. Whatever that true inflation number is, you're in the hole. Yeah. A great way to hedge that is through real estate. Yeah. No, it's so good. You know, inflation right now, I think it's at like 4.2 labeled at that, but God knows what it truly is. And yeah because they are just printing out so much. So buy those real assets, get it at the discount price, do the remodel, get it in a fixed mortgage as soon as possible. And you'll always do well, but make sure it's a cash flowing asset, like you said. Yeah. Whether that number is 4% or whether it's 40%, yeah. you know, I'm not smart enough to know exactly how to calculate exactly what it is, <laughs> but other billionaires that I study and watch and books and whatnot, a lot of the data showing about 15 to 20% is what it's truly going to be, if not there already. So the question to ask yourself, if you don't even know what inflation is, or if you're like, hey, it's not that bad, 
what is good to know is for the most part, everyone can agree inflation's happening. Gas prices going up, supply and demand issues in every industry. So yeah. we can all agree, hey, things are more expensive. Products and services are more expensive. But the key, key, key thing to know is how do you decrease inflation? You decrease it by increasing interest rates, which has been announced 57 trillion times in the last couple of years, is not going to go up. And they just announced it again a week ago. Yeah. So that's not a good sign on inflation. And then you also raise taxes and or uh, wages are affected. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing places left and right hiring because there's no unemployment. People would rather take unemployment. So that's going to affect, right? The Chipotle radio is going to be worth 20% more, right? Or yeah. going to cost everyone 20% more, let alone lumber, the home price, everything, right? And then also who knows what they're going to actually do with taxes, right? Like they still haven't made an announcement on it yet. And who knows if they will. So two out of the three is already not looking good for the next one or two years. That's why I'm still very bullish on real estate. I couldn't agree more. Well, I love it, Tyler. I appreciate your feedback on everything. And just it's always great networking with you and hearing more about your story. I know it's been super helpful for a lot of the listeners, but I know you got a webinar coming up soon that could definitely be super beneficial to the average real estate investor trying to get started. And then if you wouldn't mind just kind of plugging that and then any way that people can get a hold of you or social media links, however you want. Yeah, totally. Definitely appreciate the opportunity to share. So yeah, I'll be doing a real estate webinar end of the month. It's a couple hundred dollars. And I can tell you guys right now that it's worth uh, way more as far as sharing what I'm going to share, how to find deals, analyze deals, really just a, a lot of things that we talked about today, how to raise money, how to effectively do that, how to build a powerhouse team. And again, just sharing successes and failures, right? Sharing what I wish I would have known you know, when I first really, really got started and decided to dive right in, I can again tell people right now the best way to learn is just by doing it. But I do believe that podcasts and books and, and stuff definitely do help just to give you a, a more insight. So we have that workshop coming up Saturday, July 31st from noon to two o'clock Eastern time. It's recorded. So if you guys can't attend, don't worry, you guys will still get access to it. And then as far as social media, very active on Instagram. And definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel, trying to pick that up as well. And the the last key thing to know is there are a lot of spam and fake accounts. So it's just my first and last name. Any other account that you see is not me. Our team is working on getting those, you know, shut down and taken care of. So I would never ask you for money or anything weird like that, but definitely connect with me any way I can help. Let me know. Yeah. So reach out to Tyler Bossetti. You can find him anywhere on social media and so forth, but really just excited for you guys. You know, I know you have some big goals ahead. You, you guys have been crushing it. So it's, it's really exciting to see from a distance, very motivating and inspiring, but yeah, man, very thankful that you spent an hour with us. And finally, is there anything that I personally, or anybody that has been listening could do to, to give back to you? Yeah, really. I want to talk about the name of your podcast is uh, if there's anything that you guys can do is actually do the opposite of what your podcast name is. That's uh, Ready, Set, Go. I think you should go set ready, right? I think that if there's any industry that you're going to learn the most from is real estate in terms of just go do it, right? Obviously, again, you want to protect yourself and you don't want to be you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off. But yeah, as far as doing anything, you know, for me, just, you know, connect with me on social media, you know, share your wins and losses with me. And as you know, Brandon, I'm, I'm here to help people out and, and uh, always looking to connect with great people. 
Love it. I love it. I appreciate it. Well, you guys heard it here first and you definitely want to reach out to this gentleman. Very excited that he was on here with us today. So if you guys want to reach out to me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise on facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you are looking for do it for you services for credit repair, then you can always find us at creditrepairmobile.com. And then if you're looking to get educated, understanding how the banks, lenders are judging you, how to be able to fix your credit very quickly, build up your credit very quickly, several six figures, even up to seven figures in funding, and be able to leverage it into real estate or Walmart automation stores and so forth, then you can always check out our mastermind group at creditcounselelite.com. But until next time, guys, I appreciate you guys all for tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the newest notification every single Monday for the next episode. And then leave a review. Greatly appreciate all the feedback. And we will do a quick little giveaway for anybody that does leave a review. Just send me a screenshot on Instagram. So Brandon Elliott Investments. And because Tyler was talking about taking action, I will give you guys my book, Action Driven, absolutely free for every single person that shows me on Instagram, basically just subscribing and leaving a review. Okay. So until next time, guys, appreciate you so much. And you guys all stay blessed. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate you, bro. Yep. Thank you, Brandon. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.